The Resistance can't thank you enough for what you've done. With BB-8's intel and R2's help, we were able to piece together the map. We certainly hope so. We may have won the battle, but the war rages on. We need help, and hope, now more than ever. Don't worry. If Luke Skywalker is out there, we will find him. Star Wars fans and Moof Milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 40 of Blast Crazy. Points. 40. We're old enough to drive. We're over the hill. <laughs> yeah. Do people still say over the hill? I think so. You guys are old to your eyes. No, of course not. So this week we got a special, special episode where we are joined today with Mr. Darren Beaver. Darren, how's it going? Pretty good. Is that really your real name, Darren Beaver, or is that like a code name? Uh, <laughs> that is my real name. It would I'd probably come up with a much better code name, I think. Less recognizable. So Darren, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Tell us why we're talking to you today. Sure. I am a visual effects artist who is with Avalanche Studios for Disney Infinity 3.0 Star Wars. Um, and I was uh, a member of the Avatar team, which meant I worked on the effects for the toys. I worked on all the Episode 7 Avatars, um, inclu- and also Boba Fett, parts of Chewbacca, Luke, and I did all the lightsaber effects and blaster effects in the game. Wow. Cool. And I also worked on Star Wars Connect years ago. Oh, my God. Yes. It's, it's a high point, really. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows it, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, I have always felt after doing Star Wars Connect I needed to really redeem myself, and I felt I did that with Infinity. Uh, it's the game that I hope children in 15 years from now you know, come and say, hey, I played that game, and it really helped my interest in star wars is i feel like star wars connect will make kids come to me and say i injured myself because of that game and hated star wars yeah my my son still wants to play connect star wars all the time and i always have to talk him out of it because i almost die every time we play it because there's so much jumping (laughs) that that game is amazing and you know the funny thing about that is when we when i was at a previous studio um and we got it. Uh, 
the studio I was at was one of the few studios that used the infernal engine that um, that game was being built on. So when they ran into problems, we were able to help them. And my effects programmer was working on porting over a bunch of assets and getting it running in the in the engine. And he came to me and he's like, hey, uh, do you want to see something? And I said, yeah, sure. He's like, I don't know how you're going to take this. And he was the only one who'd seen Star Wars Connect at this time. And I went into his office and he shut the door and he loaded it up and he loaded up the uh, the emperor dance game (laughs) (laughs) yeah you cannot possibly hope to defeat me stood there for a few minutes not knowing you know really what to do or how to react to that at that moment i thought like well clearly this is just going to be a part of the game nobody remembers right like it's going to be in there and we're going to work on this action sequence and then there's this rancor game in there no one's gonna ever notice it's going to be bonus features or something right yeah you know like it's going to be the fun after credits thing and the way that that got picked up as almost the center part of that game was amazing to me. It kind of <laughs> ended up being the best part of the game, though. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it really was because the Connect was best for for uh, dancing games, but. I bet there's somebody somewhere that's still playing it and is swearing that that's their favorite game. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 I still like Masters of Terakai. I, I don't, I'm not afraid to admit that's, it. That's true. There's no shame. I don't like it, but you do, yeah. <laughs> I still, I, I, when I was playing Masters of Terakai when that game was out, it was. I yeah. was like, "What? People don't like this? This is awesome." Do you play as anyone other than Boba Fett in that? Though Luke Skywalker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I just got too mad that they took Boba Fett and just changed the green slightly and made it Jodo cast. Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and thought that counted as another character. I, I think it does. That's what Dark Horse always did, though. I, well, yeah. I know that's pretty true to the to the license, right? Because yeah. it's like we can't have Boba Fett. We'll just have slightly different green Boba Fett. No, I don't know the difference. It's like he really it. wanted us to have Jodo cast in Infinity. Oh, they, yeah. they wouldn't listen to you. <laughs> no, no. If if they listened to me, we would have had Kiro. That's true. <laughs> we, I, yeah, <laughs> I was campaigning hard to get Kiro in the game. We had. Um, I guess I'll step into Infinity now. Right. Um, I started at Avalanche. At the tail end of Infinity One, um, and I came aboard because uh, you know there was a lot of production work and a lot of effects to still do, and I was working on some cinematic effects for the Cars play sets and the a little bit in the intro, like some really minor stuff in the intro. And, and when I was there, you know, I, I I chose Avalanche 
uh, and Infinity because when I went to Avalanche, I got to see, I went into the interview and I interviewed and they walk you around the studio and I, I happened to, they kind of take you into the concept room and you see some of the stuff the concept guys are working on. And I saw some Marvel sketches on a desk. And I probably wasn't supposed to see them. And they were out of eyesight, you know, out of eyeshot. But being a huge comic book fan, I worked in a comic book store for years and years. Um, like, I'm a huge comic nerd, right? And so just, like, a corner glimpse of, you know, a sliver of a paper, and I recognized it as an Iron Man drawing. And you know it doesn't take a genius to figure out you know here's a company that's doing a mashup of all things disney and disney had bought marvel and they had just bought lucasfilm you could easily draw the line to where it was going Um, but i also got to see infinity the game uh, 1.0 more than they had released to the public at that point and i was amazed with just how beautiful it was and how how much they were trying to to go for it like just just how much content they were creating. And I thought it was going to be a real big challenge. And that's kind of what I was looking for. So I decided to go there. Plus I decided if I go there, there's a good chance that I will get to do some pretty cool stuff with star Wars and, and, and Marvel. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size. Catch your seat just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Right before we did Star Wars, they had a Star Wars Jeopardy. They were going to do a Star Wars Jeopardy. And in order to get into the Jeopardy, they sent out, they said, anyone who wants to try out for Star Wars Jeopardy, we're going to have prizes. And you can send us your name, and we're going to send you a questionnaire. Don't use the internet uh, to answer the questionnaire. And I think it was 30 questions. And so I answered all 30 questions and uh, made it into the – I was in the top three people and got chosen to do the Star Wars trivia. Do you remember any of the questions? You know, I don't at all at this point, but they weren't. They weren't anything I thought was very difficult. Okay. It wasn't, the, it wasn't from an Rusty Miller quiz guide? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was. It could have been. Um, I think the only things I did wrong was probably spelling on the whole quiz. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's... They had this Star Wars trivia, and I ended up winning it. And the prize was just a goofy like Darth Vader glove. But the reason I entered it was I told the... Um, one of the producers who was running it, I said, if I win this, I all I want is to try and get Kiro in the game. That was my <laughs> whole goal to enter and my whole motivation to win. And uh, Lucasfilm was was uh, they kind of sent us a list of things we couldn't couldn't put in, and Kiro was clearly going to be part of the list of not <laughs> number not one allowed. Now you just need to write letters to Dave Filoni every day to get Kiro in Rebels. He would be fantastic. He would be the most gorgeous. I think at this point, for fans who maybe aren't so knowledgeable about the wonderful Kiro, can you explain who Kiro is to people? Yeah. So um, in the end, uh, I think he first appeared in uh, Marvel Star Wars 75. That feels right. 70 or 75. He was basically a elf fish man with bug eyes, big 
big orbital eyes and orange skin and basically Anakin hair that was bright yellow. And he carried a tent stake and he would swim around and be angry. And later on, he and he kept dying. That was the great thing about Kiro is like they would kill him and then he'd show up 10 issues later and they'd be like, Kiro, you're alive. And then he'd die and then he'd come back again. And uh, they even did this whole thing where, you know, he was strong in the force, but Luke didn't want to train him because of his anger. And he was fantastic. You know, they put him in cowboy boots and like Aquaman underwear and put a fish tank on his head. And he'd run around with a tent stake and try and stab people. And it was during the whole era where they had those kind of goth creatures and the purple women. It was so beautiful. It was possibly a highlight in the Star Wars universe. Someday he'll come back. Someday. We get Thrawn, but we don't get Kiro. It's an injustice. They have to have come up with enough Star Wars stories. You know, if you wait patiently 15 or 20 years, Kiro will get his movie. I'm hoping. Rent out a billboard, say, attention Lucasfilm. Yeah, you just need to convince all the EU, uh, bring back the EU fans that they really just want to bring back Kiro. Yeah. In my mind, Kiro is still part of canon, though. What does your heart tell you? Yeah. Oh, it tells me he's there. Now, be brave and don't look back. Don't look back. So we did the Star Wars Jeopardy, and I I think at that point we weren't still. That was still during. The tail end of 2.0 uh, Marvel, and like really near the end, like around uh, probably when we were doing cert submissions. So we knew we were doing Star Wars, but we didn't know to what extent. And then once we started picking up, you know, there was a lot of question within the team of how we were doing it. You know, were we going to do just one movie at a time or? Were we going to do a set of movies? Do you remember, was it more you guys pitching an idea to Lucasfilm, or did they kind of say, hey, this is what we want because we have these things coming out in the near future? Um, that, that was a, a, quite a bit above my pay grade, but I'm fairly sure it was a collaborative effort between the two with probably Disney marketing heavily involved. Pretty much as soon as you knew you were going to start on Star Wars stuff, did you already at that point know that Episode Seven was going to be part of it, or were you starting with the original trilogy prequel stuff, and then at some point they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to do episode seven as well. Yeah, we knew... I, I want to... As I can remember, we knew right away that we were doing episode seven. We didn't know what episode seven was, but we knew we were doing it as soon as we were officially told we were working on Star Wars. And we knew that it was what we were going to... The place that we were working on internally because uh, security around the episode seven stuff was so tight that they had to, to vet everything. In fact, we got a security guard at that point, um, which we didn't have before um, in order to be security compliant. And we had to do some special security training, sign additional NDAs um, about episode seven. I dropped off a of Facebook just because I didn't want to accidentally spoil anything or be <laughs> accidentally and didn't talk to anybody for like a year and, some change 
<laughs> so as a lifetime Star Wars fan, how did that feel? Like it's, it was cool enough to make Star Wars stuff you knew about, but like how did it feel when it sunk in that you were going to get to see Episode Seven stuff before other people? You know, it, uh, it it didn't sink in at first. Even when I started working on stuff, you know, like I didn't realize it till I was going over some of the attacks that Kylo Ren, we called him Grim. Um, he, he, cause all our characters for episode seven had code names, right? So that if we accidentally talked about something in public or if someone hacked into our systems or something that they wouldn't know who anybody was while we were modeling him. And in fact, for a long while to keep him secret, we had taken Obi-Wan Kenobi, the infinity model, the Ewan McGregor one. And we had given him, changed his robes to all black and given him black hair and a black beard. Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. And, and, it, and it was the most evil looking thing I've ever seen because it was basically like evil dimension Ben Kenobi. His evil twin. Yeah, it was his evil twin. And that's kind of how... Um, Nigel initially had to animate him, but because of the flowing robes and capes, eventually he had to switch over to the actual model um, in order to see how, with all the capes, how the character moved. And we were down there discussing stuff, and he had to, he had to turn on the proper mesh for Kylo Ren so that we could under so I could understand kind of what we were going for with this. Uh, with this double ground pound, he has a ground pound where he kind of slams the ground, then he jumps back up and force pushes a ball down is what we did. And so he wanted to turn that on so I could see the full motion. So I understood how to do it. And it was the second he flipped that on and I saw Kylo Ren, you know, this summer, I mean, it might've been the summer before the trailer, you know, but it was a good time before I recall him being shown. And like that was the moment where I realized that I was working on something that was Star Wars that I hadn't seen yet. You know, that it was new. It was, it wasn't, I couldn't tell you who this guy was yet, but I knew who he was, if that makes any sense. Oddly enough, the most meaningful moment I had was, I mean, that was a big one, but the, the, the biggest impact I had was when we finally got the voice for Kylo Ren in and I heard it, that blew me away. Um, like that was something where I think Kylo Ren had been seen at that point. I think we the trailer had been out, maybe even the second trailer had been out, but nobody had heard him. Mm-hmm. And when I heard our the dialogue with Kylo Ren and that voice, I was so blown away by it because I thought, you know, this is this is really going to be something that catches on. This character is not going to just, he's not a Darth Vader ripoff. He's something new, but something familiar. And it, and it really pulled it all together for me at that moment. Like, you know, kind of what, you know, you've been working on this character for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden you really get the gravity of him. Yeah. It's a real thing at that point. Yeah. Like it, it was fully realized, I guess is the best. Yeah, I think everyone else. The first time we heard his voice was the the talking helmet. Yeah, people. Oh yeah, <laughs> talking helmet. <laughs> and no one was quite sure if he really sounded that way or if it was just the talking helmet because it it just made me think of 
remember when the prequel toys came out and they had those chips that they could talk, but <laughs> oh, none yeah, of them yeah. were like the real voices or anything to do with yeah. how they sounded in the movie? Anakin will become a Jedi, I promise. Do not underestimate the power of the Force. I am a Jedi. So how was it when you finally saw the movie? Was it surreal? Was it weird, like having worked on it for so, so, so long? You know, it was not. It, it, it felt very new and fresh to me because even with the adaption and working on it and learning things, you know, um, the way the way that it worked was um, Adrian, one of our story guys, uh, he went down to Lucasfilm. And he read the script and he came back and he knew the script and he wrote the story. And I, I, it wasn't, I don't think it was the exact version of the script that they filmed, mm-hmm. uh, but it was close. He couldn't tell anyone, you know, what he'd read and he didn't. He's a fantastic secret keeper. No matter how you try to trick him into giving you information, he figures it out and sips his lip. But you working on the game, you get enough information, you know, there's concept art. We had a uh, uh, we had a room, a secure room that had a computer on it and a video camera on that computer with a live feed to Lucasfilm. Oh my god! Yeah. What? And in that computer was concept art, and the room was locked, and you had to get a key, and people would go in there, and they'd come out, and then they could explain to you what would happen, and maybe see some pictures, you know, and, and that's how things would happen. Unfortunately for me, I was doing visual effects, so there's no pictures at that point, you know, cause it's so far in, in the process of it. So, you know, where character guys can go in there and even the animators could go in and kind of see how they're posing characters out. For me, it was just asking uh, Vince Bracken, our producer, you know, he, he would, he would, get a list from me of questions I had and send those to Lucasfilm and then Lucasfilm would respond. And there, there was so much secrecy that even Vince at times would ask them questions and they'd say, we don't know yet. We haven't seen, we were, we were making cert submissions and I remember getting a list and it was the colors of the blasters that certain people had to use. Like, where it's like, okay, these bad guys use blue. These good guys use blue. These guys use red. You know, it was, and it was literally, I think, every character that we had in in Force Awakens and their corresponding blaster color. Wow. We didn't have, I didn't, I didn't get to see any reference on Kylo Ren's lightsaber. When the first trailer came out, and, you know, there's the, the, the now, I, iconic scene of him igniting in the in the snowy forest mm-hmm. um that was the first time i saw the lightsaber so when you look at that lightsaber and, and i went through i downloaded the video and i literally took every single frame i did a frame capture and dumped every frame of that lightsaber and when you watch it frame by frame it's that one is much more lightning based and spark spitting than the one in the film. The one in the film is much more fiery. There still has the lightning motif, but if you look at it, it's it it has much more of a flame feel to it, much more of a flow. But the the original one had far more of a lightning feel. And I had built our lightsaber off of 
the original trailer when the second trailer came out that showed the new version of lightsaber and it shifted more the original uh my lightsaber i actually did was i went i took the lightsaber into photoshop and and actually grabbed specific pixels for the coloring um for my textures Mm -hmm. and so it it had a more orange hue to it in that trailer it's red but it's got a bit more orange in it and the lightsaber in the final film is much more red it's much more pure red and it's much more fiery we had i think we were already in in submission in submissions for the game so at that point you don't want to do any major changes and i got a note from lucasfilm and it said that you know hey uh the lightsaber doesn't look quite right anymore can this be changed and it was a conversation we had with vince and he said well you know, what's it going to take to change this and make it accurate? And I said, you know, it's probably going to take me three or four days to do this. And I don't know how much new texture or rework I'm going to have to do to match it. So we decided at that point that it was just too risky that far in the game to alter the lightsaber. But that's how, that's how, um, you know, fluid the development of a lot of that stuff was, um, you know, we were we were turning on dimes as soon as we got new information or more information. Yeah, I used to get you that since the movie itself, right? They're changing things right up to the last minute, and they're really they're not concerned about what you guys are doing. Really, no. at that point, they're busy. I think something to bring up too that a lot of people might not realize is as down to the wire as films can be to make, it's almost worse for video games because you have to have some amount of time to test the changes you're made so that the game doesn't crash where a movie kind of a movie's going to play once it's done. But a video game, if you make a change like that, even that small could basically crash the whole game. So yeah, you have to be, the game has to be done even earlier than the film would have to be done. So it, I can imagine it's really hard to sync those schedules up. Yes. And, and we had, you know, we had a, we had pushed to really kind of get that game out. And the funny thing was, the original thought, I think, was that all of the episodes, and I might be wrong on this, but I, 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 the way I remember it was there was talk for a while that episode seven was going to be downloadable content, but we, I think that was quickly realized that you don't want to um, upset people that don't have an internet connection or a good enough connection to download it. So we had put it on the disc and we had invested a bunch of time in order to make sure that we had encrypted everything and, and all, all that so that we didn't accidentally leak. That was one of the biggest fears we had was being the leak point. You know, we prided ourselves in, you know, I think Avalanche did a great job in not leaking anything, especially because you look at it and, and there were leaks coming out all over the place from all the other toys that came out, um, from the Kenner stuff and the Lego stuff, you know, you, you had a great idea of who was in the movie and what was happening. And I don't think any of our infinity stuff leaked till way later. Yeah. Cause I don't think I realized that. I mean, it makes perfect sense now that you say it though, that the episode seven stuff would have already been on the disc before it was even announced. Yeah. So people data mined our discs all the time because of the fact that we, you know uh, the infinity fans we we would release content throughout the year and all of that content's on the disc when we release it you know um mm-hmm. infinity 3 was the first the first time we had 
actual DLC. So we were extremely worried because we already had a community of people that were, you know, crazy to find out just anything. I mean, it's, it's flattering to work on a game where people are so interested. They're going in there and trying to find every little hidden thing on the disc. So they in, and find everything. So it, it was something we were aware was going to happen. And we, we put extra effort into making sure that, that it was, it was a kept secret. No. Can I just say I'm still fascinated with the the computer with a video going straight to Lucasfilm? <laughs> <laughs> I know I was, I've been thinking about that the whole time too. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever just go in there and turn it on and hope that no, like camera it, would just it's turn? It's a on? locked room. You can't go in there. Yeah. Oh, you had to man. get special permission, and you know it's it's funny too because you know Trader Trooper, uh, the Shock Trooper, Riot Trooper, yeah. we called him. You know I, when I was doing the effects for him, it was a very difficult explanation to me, right? Cause the animators had seen him and the producers had seen him, but I had not gone in the room to see him. So they're kind of coming out and they're like, well, he's got this baton. You'll see the baton and it's got lightning on it. Well, how much lightning is it? Is it shooting out or no, it's kind of electrified, but you can <laughs> see it, you know? And, and so you're getting these things described and you're just like, I'm just going to do something and you tell me if I'm close, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's how he did wow. stuff. So it's I, almost, I, I was going to say, it's almost like even though you were officially working on the Star Wars game, it was like when you go on a one of the websites and they have a picture that somebody drew because they happened to see the, oh, yeah. the real thing. So it's just like that, but you're actually making the I, official game still. There, <laughs> there were times that I had to see concept of concept art, you know, which which is hilarious, where you have one of the concept guys sit there and all of a sudden they're just... You know, they're like, all right, well, here, let me, this is kind of what it looks like. In, in the picture I saw, as I recall from three months ago, this is what it looks like. And then they draw it out for you so you can go back and do your job and they shred it and rip it up and put it in the shredder, you know, like the shredder bend. It's... Raider! Everything was awesome. Force Awakens is great, and then it fell apart. Like, what happened? On the day of the studio shuttering, we were all very surprised um, that it happened. It, it was very unexpected, I think, for the majority of the staff. Um, we had become the number one uh, game in the Toys to Life category. We felt we were delivering a very superior product. Um, we had a huge fan base, and we, we were pretty much taken aback by it. The the real positive stuff, I'd say, that did come out of it was almost instantly. I think that news hit, and by that evening, it was amazing to see the articles that were showing up on Kotaku, IGN, Polygon, you know, all the major sites were writing these articles about how we were shuttered and how, and, and I mean, for the next week, you know, Kotaku, Polygon, all these sites were writing multiple articles about what a mistake it was, how great the game was, how unfair it was. And it, it, it really made you feel really good. 
And and I have to I have to say this about Disney. I I don't hold any ill will to Disney. They treated us very fairly. They did things that I've never seen a studio do for layoffs. You know, we had access to the studio to build up our demo reels and resumes. They sent out people to try and get us jobs right away. You know, they were very helpful, supportive, and and um, caring. It wasn't it wasn't a cold blooded gutting. You know, it, it was a business decision, but they handled it better than you could hope. Um, which is more than you can ask for. But what what I what I'm saying is the thing that really helped out though was seeing the community of fans, seeing the industry, all these people really really reach out and say how wonderful the game was, how much they enjoyed it, how much they were looking forward to to future installments of it. And 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 I I you know, I can speak for myself, but I feel on this I can speak for the team and say that, you know, we all really appreciated it. It was really a bright spot in a very dark time for a lot of us, you know, because when you make a game, you know, I've been doing games for, I don't know, how long have I been doing games, games Gabe? <laughs> a long, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years at least at this point, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I can't, I can't say I, I've ever worked on a title that meant as this much to people I didn't know, um, or, or to a community of people. And, and, and for as long as it did, it's a game that I feel had, had a lot of impact to the players. And, and I think the thing about infinity is it's, it's a, it's a unique game in the fact that it was a game that parents and children could play together. And that was one of our major tent poles and goals you know uh uh avalanche is based out of utah and utah is very family oriented um you know most of the guys in the studio my guys and girls have families have kids multiple kids like 20 kids um (laughs) we're not gonna edit that up (laughs) no (laughs) they'll admit it all of them um especially as a Star Wars fan, right? It's it's amazing for me to create a Star Wars game that I can have as much fun playing with my kids as as I would playing an adult game, you know, and and a game that teaches them about Star Wars and all of Star Wars. And and you know, it's my, and and my kids age range is my youngest is 5 and my oldest is going to be 12 and it's the first game that they could all sit down and play on equal footing and i could hop in and play with them and they could pick their favorite characters and the girls could play as leia and ray and those characters were just as good as the male characters um fenris my son pretty much exclusively played as kylo ren or darth vader which you know i was happy when he played as kylo ren because i worked on kylo ren so I encourage that a bit more. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think we, as a studio, the thing we did was we really reached our goal and we, we made something that I think will leave lasting memories with people. And that's kind of what you want. That's kind of, you know, I, I feel like 
you know, you you guys kind of talk about Lucas a lot and, and put the clips in where Lucas is talking about, you know, like, you know, what joy is and, and things of that nature. You get hung up on pleasure, you're doomed. If you pursue joy, you will find everlasting happiness. So with that, I'm gone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. And and it's it's kind of like the essence of Star Wars is something that young and old can appreciate and enjoy at the same time. And, and that was the goal of infinity. And I think that's why star Wars in infinity worked so well. I think the other thing that you guys did so great is the fact that as much as it's for parents and kids, it's also for, if you're not even into the game, the figures themselves were done so well that collectors could buy the figures even without the game. And then the game was great. And if you were just into games, but not the figures, like everybody, it made everybody happy. Yeah. Jeff is into the, the, I, I'll say this: the look of Infinity is amazing, right? Like when you look at, at kind of the art style that you know that our concept team and Jeff Bunker created for the avatars and the toys. It's it's gorgeous. They're they are so beautiful. It's 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 a nice style. You know, it's it's reminiscent of many things, but at the same time, very unique. And it what what really made it amazing and i always kind of said this is when i was a kid you know i had amigo spider-man and i had you know my my three and a half tall inch figure star wars guys they couldn't really live in the same world and when i did have to have them in the same world i had to take my 12 inch darth vader and my amigo spider-man and they didn't quite fit together there was just something about them that didn't look right and I liked both equally. And Infinity really gave us that thing where, I, I mean, I watched my son sit there and take Spider-Man and take Darth Vader, and they look like they belong together. And he can play with them, and he can put them in a game, and he can see them realized. And I think that's great. I think it's it lets kids really use their own imagination and and build on things instead of siloing these things off into universes and i think that's important for kids Uh, i think a lot of people always say you know we we tried to make this for families but i really do feel that this studio you know there was a love of star wars at avalanche you know there was a, a huge love of star wars at avalanche and we wanted to make the best star wars game we could and you know you look at those levels that we did you know you look at our jakku and that that it's beautiful. That's also one of the things I think that was one of the moments where I realized how crazy this movie was going to be. When I first saw the Jakku level roughed out with the, with the um, crash star destroyer in it, you know, that it blew my mind. Like when you see that, like, and, and the context, you don't have any context for this, but you see these crash star destroyers on this desert planet. And you just know, like, it's going to be crazy and it's going to be awesome, but it's star Wars. You're seeing something new and it just blows your mind. Like, you know, you're just sitting there, you like want to run around and ask everyone what little bits of information they have. So you can try start piecing it together. But at the same time, it's, it was just beautiful to see. So Darren, I just thought of the question that I think everyone has on their mind right now. How did you feel after working on the game and having constable Zuvio in it? 
could have been <laughs> watching the movie and not having Constable Zubio in it. You know, I I want to say y- y- the funny thing is I worked on Constable Vesuvio's attacks. You know, like <laughs> you know, like his swings. I, what did we call him? I think he was uh, Thug Two. Is who he was. He wasn't um, even Thug One. Who was Thug One? <laughs> Thug. Well, it was based on on level of attack. Thug One was the guy with the sledgehammer. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> And and so he, I think he, I feel like he was thug too, and like you know, and I thought he was awesome looking. And yeah, you're sitting there and you're watching the movie and you're just like, oh, there, what, there he is. Okay. Well, here it is, the most eagerly awaited arcade game of the year, the brand new Star Wars. Sound familiar? Let's check out the action. Now, as Luke Skywalker, your mission is to reach the Death Star and find the tiny exhaust port that's the only spot vulnerable to your proton torpedo. This machine was supposed to be ready for the summer opening of Return of the Jedi, but just now is arriving. However, it doesn't need the tie-in with the film to make it a success. And like the Force, this Star Wars game will be with you always. All right, so Darren, we've got some rapid-fire questions here, um, real quick. Favorite piece of John Williams' Star Wars music? Uh, it's probably the final duel in Return of the Jedi. Ooh. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. There's something about it. I listen to it, and th- I mean, those are my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars: is Luke and Vader and the Emperor. Oh yeah. Um, I can't. I, I'll watch those just ad nauseum, like over and over again, um, more than anything else in Star Wars. And that music is, I think, it is the best bridge between what John Williams did in the original trilogy and what he later did in the prequels. I think it is the music that bridges, you know, classic star Wars and the more duel of the fate style stuff. I would agree. Your favorite Ewok. Low gray. Best star Wars beard. Ooh, that's a hard one. Like how do you judge a beard? Uh, it's like picking the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, they're already the best. Yeah. Like <laughs> the second one's grown. Uh, I think Maydine had a very big impact in my life when you look at my face, because um, my beard almost looks artificial. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my favorite beard is Obi Wan Kenobi's beard because it's a uh, it, it Alec Guinness Obi Wan Kenobi okay. because it's attached to Alec Guinness Obi Wan Kenobi's hair. Mm. And my dad has the same hair okay. in the fact that it is never neat. It's always askew and windblown. Yeah. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. Uh, favorite background Jedi? Untrained Kiro. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Trained, it would probably be... 
Kid Fisto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, you can't go wrong with that guy. He's always in a good mood. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere there's a picture of someone in a Kid Fisto mask kissing me on the head. If he it, it probably was, it's probably me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it, it is you, Dave. <laughs> Sadly, that Kiss Pistol mask is like completely disintegrated. I still oh. have it on my desk, but it's uh, he's looking rough. Yes. No, yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, he's basically Kiro 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> he's happy Kiro. Favorite Star Wars action figure when you were a kid? My favorite Star Wars action figure when I was a kid was Snowtroopers. I have a crazy love for Snowtroopers, and I had... Six snow troopers. I kept going to the store with my mom, and she would say, you know, I, I'd have my allowance or whatever, and she'd say, all right, let's go buy a Star Wars figure. And I would buy a snow trooper, and she'd say, Darren, you already have one. And I said, I know I need more. Were you, were you sad you didn't get to make a Force Awakens snow trooper? No, I don't like the Force Awakens snow troopers. Like, it, I, I love Galactic Marines. Because they still have the vinyl sheet in front of their face, and I don't like the hard plastic sheet and or the hard plastic kind of molded piece that's on the uh, first order snowtroopers. The snowtrooper is a sheet of vinyl with a nose with nostrils too. Yeah, it's that that blew my mind when the uh, when the Blu-ray versions, the HD versions of the movie came out. I never realized they had the little nostril nuggets on them. Yeah. Well, you know what's the craziest thing, right? Like, so the idea behind the First Order Trooper is it is the Applefied Stormtrooper, right? It's the it's the simplified, smoother, more streamlined version. But technically, the First Order Snowtrooper is a more complex version of a simplified Snowtrooper. Like, if you look at a Snowtrooper's helmet, goggles, and cowl, that's all there is. And the First Order Troopers have way more going on. So they went the opposite way. <laughs> I'm giving a lot of thought to this. <laughs> I'm going to take your word for that on that one. Yeah. Oh, you're going to look it up tonight. Yeah. Do you know what's going on? Maybe it's another drill. Do you have a favorite Star Wars t-shirt? Yes, I do have a favorite Star Wars t-shirt. When I was a kid, I had a t-shirt that had an X-Wing on it, and it had the word. It was encased in Star Wars, and it had glitter. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And as an adult, my favorite Star Wars t-shirt isn't a t-shirt. It's my son's deluxe Kylo Ren hoodie. Because he wears that thing, and it is awesome, and I wish that there was one in my size. Make your own. Kylo Ren with a three-foot beard might look strange. Have you seen Gabe's Jar Jar hoodie? (laughs) Yes. So... (laughs) But Gabe also naturally has the same body shape as Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> and I do not have the same body shape as Adam Drop. Well, this was awesome, Darren. Um, thanks. Thank you for your time tonight and talking sure. to us. Anytime. Really great. Yeah, thanks. 
Yeah, so you should follow Blast Points on um, on all the social media stuff. You can like our Facebook page, and we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram, too. And yeah, we'll be back next week where we're going to be talking about um, Steps into Shadow, the big Rebels episode. Darren, are you, oh, looking, are you looking forward to the new Rebels? I am. Uh, me and the kids gather up in bed and watch it and love it and talk about it afterwards. So we've, we've quite enjoyed Rebels. Yeah. Season three, here we go. Yeah. So we just want to thank you again, Darren, for that. Anytime. And yeah, on behalf of Blast Points number 40. Big um, four zero. Big <laughs> over the hill. I just say I'm wearing a, a, a black top hat with a silver 40 on it right now. <laughs> I think that's what they make. Went to Party City. Yeah, I bought all the all the 40-year-old stuff. <laughs> well, we'll see you next week when uh, with number 41. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. May the force be with all.